Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. And it's Rink Wrap. With Mick Collagio coming to you from the Standard Times office in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And you can hear Rink Rap wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Google Play or iTunes. We uh, upload them to Omni.fm. And uh, you can also link to them through our articles at selfcoasttoday.com or on my Rink Rap blog, which is blogs.com southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. Um, so uh, today, uh, getting caught up with you after a little gap, um, still glowing from uh, Thursday afternoon in Boston, uh, the Willie O'Ree Street Hockey Rink dedication. There used to be a street hockey rink there at Smithfield in Alston, right at the edge of the Harvard Athletic Grounds uh, back in the day. And apparently uh, it got uh, kind of worn down and beaten down and the Bruins have pledged uh, a minimum of $250,000 to upgrade uh, street hockey facilities in the greater Boston area including um, this one which was uh, finished and dedicated uh, and Willie O'Ree was present on Thursday afternoon along with uh, Bruins President Cam Neely, uh, Andrew Ferentz who now uh, works for the NHL uh, and, of course, uh, Bruins uh, captain Zdeno Chara and his alternate Patrice Bergeron. Uh, so that was a fantastic time there, uh, catching up with those guys. And actually, it was a lot of fun talking to Big Z. He had a lot to say about street hockey in his childhood. Did you know Zdeno Chara did not play ice hockey till he was uh, around six or seven years old? He did play street hockey at age three or four. Uh, talked about um, looking up to the last great Soviet teams, uh, which I would think, based on uh, Big Z, is 41 years old. So assuming, let's go back to, say, five years old, that would put him somewhere in the early 80s, um, uh, which I guess would uh, be right around the beginning of the KLM, right? Uh, we're past... Kind of past the uh, Boris Mikhailov and um, uh, all the greats from the uh, Tradiac era, um, Valerie Harlamov, etc., uh, Gusev, um, so many great players, Maltsev, and on to the next generation of greats. And Z grew up in uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, looking up to them, and and now here he is. Uh, playing still at an incredibly high level, uh, an elite defender in the NHL, uh, and he'll be 42 in March, and obviously not, uh, you know, what 
any GM pencils in and says, okay, there's my number one defenseman, and I want to try to win the Stanley Cup. But you know what? You never put anything past Zdeno Chara. Everything for him is a challenge. The guy is uh, uh, pretty much um, a never-giver-upper, and um, it was fun talking to him about a lot of things that many of you, if you listen to this podcast, experienced in your own childhood playing street hockey and thinking, okay, uh, we're this team, you're that team, whether it was the Bruins and the Canadians or the Bruins and the Flyers, uh, and, or in, in Z's case, um, maybe it was the Czechs and the, and the Soviets. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, everybody had a player they wanted to be, and Z talked about that too. It was pretty, it was pretty fun. Um, and then the, he and Bergie got into the uh, street hockey end of it, um, having fun with the, with guys down there, uh, uh, the kids, the children that uh, were out there on the rink uh, shooting around the orange ball. It was a, it was just a fun fun to be part of. And as I was walking away, I took a glance back at it because I was thinking about maybe trying to shoot a video um, if uh, if Bergie was coming in uh, on one of the uh, goaltenders, maybe shoot it from the goal judge position. And he was way too far in the back of the pack that that would happen, and I had to get going. So, but Cam Neely spotted me on my way out and said to me, "Hey, what do you you want to get out there?" And I was like, uh, "No, nah, no, thanks. I appreciate it, but um, um, I've had my chances in life." Um, so let's talk about the Bruins on Rink Wrap the podcast. Uh, what do we got going on today? We have a few things happening. One is. Uh, Mike Loftus wrote an interesting article. He's the Bruins Gatehouse writer. He works for the Patriot Ledger in Quincy. And he uh, had an article after Thursday's practice um, about uh, Jake DeBrusque and how uh, DeBrusque uh, went through a a benching in Carolina that then turned into uh, power play duty on the first unit uh, and playing alongside... uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. So uh, topsy-turvy situations and Bruce Cassidy looking at a lot of different uh, scenarios as he tries to uh, get guys uh, into uh, positions to be successful, to borrow an old uh, Mike Sullivan phrase. Um, uh, Cassidy not down on DeBrusque, but it hasn't gone well for him production-wise. <clears throat> Excuse me. It took it took um, uh, DeBrusque uh, four games to get a goal. He's gone through hot and cold stretches, and uh, but I think his game is for the most part uh, a little hampered because he's been used to being a, a left winger on David Krejci's line, but in the current configuration with Danton Heinen skating the left side, DeBrusque has been switched to the right. And there's a lot of uh, things that are different and awkward system-wise. And, you know, so much of DeBrusque's game is predicated on speed that a lot of those things are just not coming uh, easily for him as far as uh, turning into scoring chances. But um, he tries hard. He's a good player. And he's only going to get better. So Bruce Cassidy's been uh, trying a few different things with him. Uh so Mike wrote about that, and um, you can definitely get it at ledger.com. Uh, and you can probably get it, uh, read it in other Gatehouse newspapers as well. Uh, Ryan Donato, assigned to the Providence Bruins. Um, 
he needs to win more pucks on the boards. He needs to hold more pucks wherever they are. Uh, strong on the puck uh, situations that you dominate in college hockey and Clearly, Donato has the skills to become a very effective NHLer, uh, but there's a learning curve involved, and uh, whether or not the attitude of grit is there, there's a a there's a, there's a difference between what works, not only a one-on-one move, but a lot of things don't work when you get to the NHL little tricks you have along the boards for keeping pucks or taking pucks away or winning winning a, a contestable puck along the boards. A lot of little things where the Bruins need to have all hands on deck. And right now, Donato could probably use uh, some time in the minors where he can experience some success that he's not experiencing in the NHL right now that can give him... Uh, get him back on a successful track and maybe uh, you know down the road here who knows how many games that'll be uh, get him to a position where he can be better able to succeed in the NHL uh, when he gets his recall and of course he's going to get it we just don't know when although there's so many things that go into uh, factors like the you know injuries how well the team's playing, line chemistries that Bruce Cassidy may or may not want to disrupt. Um, so we have that situation as well with Donato. Um, meantime, there's also, uh, you know, the elephant in the kitchen, uh, Tuka Rask versus Yaroslav Halak. Now, Tuka would be right. To object to what I just said, because one time I asked him when he was Tim Thomas's backup about internal competition and competing against Timmy, and he stopped me right there and said, "Against, with." As far as he was concerned, their teammates, the fact that the skates on the other foot right now, I don't think changes that is all Tuka at all Tuka is a pro and he's a good teammate and the fact that Yaro Halak is off to a 4-0 and 2 start with a 1.51 goals against average and a 9.47 I mean a .947 save percentage uh, those two marks by the way are the best in the NHL and he has six games on his record which is so it's a 50-50 thing right now He's already played more games than what the Bruins originally uh, had planned out to this point. And Tuka Rask, meanwhile, at a pedestrian 3-3, three and 3.15, three, and a .902. That looked pretty good in 1978. Uh, right now, it's not looking so hot. Um, the Bruins let Anton Hudobin go to free agency after a very good year as Rask's backup and elected to spend a little more money in order to sign Halak, who is a journeyman starter. And the Bruins, I 
you know, didn't look it up before I got on this microphone. So I'm going to just wildly guess that this is his fourth NHL team. I'm not sure if that's right. But the fact is, is he's been around. He's about a year older than Tuca, maybe two. So the theory uh, that the Bruins had uh, put out there was, look, if we think Tuca can be fresher by having a, another goalie uh, at a high level taking more starts, and we can have a comfort zone that there's going to be a consistency of performance there, then this will help out Tuca, and it'll help out the team. And so it was a sound investment for them. <coughs> Sorry about that. To go down this road, uh, that said, and I've said this before and I've written it before, we'd be extremely naive to not consider the goal to be a meritocracy henceforth. The Hudobin was great in the room. People loved him. He played very well last year, post to post. So why would you fix something that ain't broken? And they are getting to a point uh, where, you know, Tuke is getting into his 30s. Halak's already in his 30s. This is a situation where the Bruins want to play a long way into May, if not June. And for them to do that, they need to make sure that they're as good as they can be at every position and as fresh as they can be at every position. So the Halak thing makes sense from that standpoint. So far, uh, Halak has seized his opportunity. And now, starting with the Nashville game on Saturday, November 3rd, uh, which happens to be uh, this recording, uh, he will have played more games so far this season than Tuka Rask. Now, before we get to the point where everybody's ready to call it a goalie controversy, et cetera, et cetera, note the following. In Jerry Cheever's book, Goaltender, which he wrote looking back at the 1970-71 season, which happens to be the most productive regular season in Boston Bruins history, 121 points. I think the team broke about, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, maybe nine, ten records uh, for in different categories. That team, that year, Cheevers alludes to there being a lot of booing, sign hanging, and catcalls from the balcony and how he didn't feel particularly secure about the fans' confidence in him. So the whole Tukarask thing and how the goaltender seems to be the magnet for uh, criticism whenever a team doesn't win that's expected to win, especially if that goaltender has a high salary, which Rask does by NHL standards and by the Bruins payroll, then this is not a new thing. And Jerry Cheever's Hall of Famer happened to him too. Uh, he obviously got through it. And, um, and I'm sure the Tuka Rask will too. Uh, that having been said, uh, this is a very, a very interesting patch in his career 
uh, as he is being outplayed by the new guy, who's not too new a guy. He's an old guy NHL-wise. He's been around. Um, and Rask is uh, being challenged right now. So very interesting times for the Bruins and how Bruce Cassidy, the coach, allots his starts going forward. Um, also remember here that Halak has been around the league as a journeyman starter, and that's great that he has all that experience. It also means that teams that have had him and then put him in that number one role moved on from him. So before you start proclaiming long-term solutions this early in a hockey season, uh, look at everything. And I think the Bruins right now are only going at this on a week-by-week basis. And so far, Halak is the hot hand. He's played very well. team's playing very well in front of him. And so don't be surprised if he gets a few more here, maybe a few in a row. We'll see. I know that's not what the Bruins had in mind when they picked him up, but this is, uh, this is the way it's going right now. So Bruins at Nashville on a Saturday night. They finally get back at home Monday night against Tyler Sagan and the Dallas Stars. Uh, meantime, Matt Grizzlick, uh, lower body injury, uh, expected to miss out on the Nashville game as now that we Bruins have Tory Krug back in action. So that's another thing to watch as the Bruins get their lineup back together. Uh, what's going to happen once uh, the Bruins have Kevin Miller back, once they have Charlie McAvoy back. Um, I think the only thing you can really expect is that when everyone's healthy, if that ever does happen, that uh, and Nainen will be back with the Providence Bruins where he can get the ice time that they want. Uh, a really nice first-round draft pick to get. So that's it for Rink Wrap, uh, except for one little thing, and that is uh, an interview, a nice chat I had up with uh, Anders Bjork, who, uh, Hobie Baker finalist from Notre Dame, uh, had another year of college remaining and decided to turn pro with the Bruins. And uh, last year was a, really a rough ride for him physically, um, he started kind of quickly, and then he kind of hit a wall. Then he got sent to Providence, and then they had a situation, so they brought him back. And then he tore his labrum and had season-ending surgery. This year, uh, Bjork is playing hard, trying hard, and not getting um, bounces, looks, whatever. It's not coming together quite that quickly for him. So here's a guy who... Pretty young in his NHL career, is now looking back at the last patch of highly successful, productive scoring that he had happened in college. And that's now not yesterday. That's like feeling like another lifetime ago, maybe. Maybe not that much. But let's uh, let's uh, listen to me and uh, Anders Bjork uh, shooting the bull about this whole thing. 
Uh, puck's not going in, but your game passes the eye test. How we with your comfort zone right now with how you're playing? It looks good. It's mm -hmm. just a, you're not putting up yeah. numbers. Yeah, no, I think I'm, who cares if you're winning and you're playing well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't think uh, I'm gonna want to be for sure. I think uh, you know, part of my job is producing offensively, and I haven't really done that. You know, I think I've done an okay job of creating stuff out there and you know being solid, but um, you know, even that can improve a little bit and I think offensively I definitely need to make, make some strides and just get hungrier and shoot more for sure. I think, uh, you know, that's kind of on me, so, um, yeah, but, um, I mean, I think what it comes down to sort of is focusing on winning and doing what I can do in, in, in games for our team and help, help our team win. And I, in some games I'm going to have to, you know, score some goals to, you know, do that, you know, I think, uh, We've obviously got some incredible players that are producing a lot offensively and helping us win games in a huge way. So, but you know, I can't do that at all 82 games a, a year. You know, so I think that comes down to me. You know, other guys too. Sort of, uh, all of us need to sort of get a little hungrier and find ways to score. I think that's you know a skill, finding ways and being creative and being hungry. They obviously don't want it to weigh on you to the point that your stick gets heavy, um, or your skates get heavy, and your mind gets heavy uh, is it hard not to let that happen yeah when you know what you are as a hockey player yeah no definitely I think um, you know uh, kind of gets in your head a bit and you you, you know you, you're not playing with ease which is I think when you when you score the most you're sort of relaxed you, you got that hunger for sure but you're sort of relaxed and uh, you know you just you know you're just playing not thinking I think and uh, when you start thinking too much and you know, getting almost paranoid about scoring, it's, uh, it's tough and you really gotta uh, put that aside and just uh, really believe that over time, even if it doesn't seem like it will, you, you gotta believe it because uh, it's not gonna help if you're uh, worried about scoring this track. Has it added to the mental challenge that you had such a difficult physical season last year that provided another year of gap between you yeah. and experiences of regular success? Yeah, you yeah, know, and, yeah. And then you have that year. Now you're in the NHL and you're building your NHL game and finding your way. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and then see, we can see upstairs how you look more confident, you're more on the puck, you're more on the fourth check you, you more look like you're in sync with what we expect of the Bruins yeah. and and then you're saying okay it's gonna go in it's gonna yeah. go in yeah. um, it, not having that year last year and does this feel does Notre Dame and a bunch of goals feel like a long time ago now yeah a little bit I mean I think that that year's you know sort of tough I think I learned a lot from it definitely and uh, you know I think it was good for me to go through injury because I've never gone through that before and that's a part of the game and guys have to bounce back from that all the time so I think hopefully in the long run it'll be good for me but yeah it does uh, feel like a, a long time ago sort of at Notre Dame and it felt like a long time since I played so I think um, you know sometimes it gets in my head that I you know I haven't played in a long time and it's going to take a while to get my game back but I I think that's that's just a mental thing. I think uh, you know you look at other guys who have gone through it and bounced right back. So I think um, that's sort of a mental thing that I have to overcome.
here. I assume you'd probably rather be here doing this with a, mm. <laughs> with a bee on your chest yeah. than lighting it up with a bee on your chest. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think so. I think you know, all, all, all of our side players are in the NHL, and so you know, I'm, I'm proud to have this opportunity, and I think um, you know I'm grateful for it too, but I, I think i got to... Make them also it for sure because uh, you know, a lot of guys would give their right arm for this. So I think um, you know the, the onus is on me to sort of find ways to help the team, and I think that's what it comes down to. The games I used to watch Notre Dame play on TV, it looked to me like you were uh, sort of like a taller Monashan in those games. You can make a play from anywhere on the rink. Take it from your own zone, your blue line, whatever. You had that kind of level of ability to to, to shorten up the rink and, and put pressure on defenses and create in and, and ways that were just uh, strong. And, and and I look at that and I'm saying, okay, so so in a, in a harder NHL where the spaces are smaller, I, I'm trying to remember... Were you an off-wing shooter? Were you are? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I, I, uh, I played right wing most of the time in what? college, so yeah, a little bit. But yeah, no, you brought the point. I think um, kind of Marshy is someone I you know, try to learn from. I can't. I don't think I play exactly like him. I don't think anyone really does. You know, he's got a really special style. And and he's evolved plays, too. Yeah, he plays. He, yeah, no, I see. I see him learning things every every day. It's pretty interesting. I think that's something that I try to do too. Is like watch guys, watch guys like Hamburgy, all these guys, and create and learn stuff from them. Like pick up little things, little tricks they do, little you know stuff you can see when they what they're focusing on. Sort of, it's cool to see that up close. That's another you know cool thing about playing in this league. Even though you know right now I'm not doing as well as I want to, I think uh, I can learn a lot up here for sure. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you know especially Marcy, I think. You know, the coaches tell me, too, to watch him because he does a lot of things that are, you know, like that I can learn from. So, I mean, not a, a lot of his stuff is, you know, sort of unteachable, but... He improvises he does, yeah, on yeah, the spot. Exactly. And he does a lot of stuff that is, like, anyone can it, it could do it. They just, you know, uh-huh. and, you know just... You gotta work hard and be creative and mm. be focused. So I think um, you know guys like that are the challenge. Well, here your game's looking better and better. So I imagine it's just a matter of time before yeah, hopefully. you start seeing the red light. Yep. Thanks for your you. time. Yeah, no Appreciate it. Bjork, uh, very honest and and uh, very engaging and uh, enjoyable to talk to. Um, and uh, I, I think when I watch him play that uh, I see a guy who's going to get there. It just uh, hasn't uh, panned out for him just yet, but um, a lot of good hockey uh, left there for him. So we'll uh, stay tuned to that and see what happens. So uh, Bruins and Preds, if you hear this before that game, um, you got that one to watch tonight from Nashville and um, against the coach that the Bruins had three chances to hire and didn't and uh, Peter Laviolette. And and the Preds are a Stanley Cup contender. I picked them to win the Cup at the beginning of last season and at the beginning of the playoffs. They didn't do it. So I think there's a little more pressure in Nashville this year for them. Um, and then when the Bruins come uh, up with Dallas on Monday at TD Garden, that's another interesting team. They, they uh, got rid of Lindy Ruff. Then they went with Ken Hitchcock. And then Hitch, 
you stepped aside. Now Jim Montgomery, the former star at UMaine, is now and in, in a coach at Denver University, Danton Heinen's old coach. He is now the coach of the Dallas Stars. So, so that's an interesting one too to see what touches he's going to put on that team, especially now that he has a Tyler Sagan that Lindy Ruff didn't have and Ken Hitchcock only saw the beginning of, which is a guy who can be a two-way, 200-foot monster in the game. Um, Tyler Sagan really beginning to show his potential as a great uh, hockey player. Uh, so that's it for Rink Wrap this week. Mick Collagio from the Standard Times in New Bedford. And remember, you can get your podcast on wherever you get your podcasts on, Google Play, iTunes. You can find Rink Wrap at those places. You can also see it linked to our stories at southcoasttoday.com and on my Rink Wrap blog, uh, which is blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. That's it for today, and we'll see you next time. Happy hockey, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.